the Wizards book review show. Now, yeah, tell us some of the books we're going to review tonight. Uh, well, I've uh, got two books to review. I've been reading That Close uh, by Madness Frontman Sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been reading Shout to the Top, uh, The Inside Story, An Inside Story of the Jammer Paul Weller by Dennis Monday. Okay, and, and uh, just to fill that, that in, I've been re- reading Mark Allen's Rockstar's Stole My Life. Uh, Mark Allen, if, if you didn't know, which you may well know, uh, a music journalist from uh, mid 1970s onwards uh, up until the present day. One of the founders of The and Word he, magazine and uh, QQ, I think. He was, uh, yes, he was, in, he, he was in the Gravel Q. Presented and, Live Aid, of course. And, and, and uh, less successfully, not Record Mirror, the other one. Presented Live Aid, yeah. Uh, and the other book is David Ford, who you might not be aware of. Uh, when we review it, I'll tell you a little bit more. But to first say, he's a musician, uh, and he's a failed musician, which he's perfectly proud of. Uh, his book's called I Chose This. Now, where are we going to go first, Sharif? Do you want to have a talk? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with... Uh, should we start with Sucks, then? Because uh, everyone knows a bit everyone about Sucks. He's a bit of a media darling. Um, well, uh, the, the the book is the story of his life. It's called That Close. Um, what do you want when you when you read the story of... when someone's own, own story of their life about someone who's main events in their life you're already reasonably familiar with you know you know most of the records you know a bit about him and his background where he's from and that kind of stuff my, my point is that I, I don't think I really know where he's from right. and, I, and I want to know what, what comes before that yep. what happens in those recording studios mm-hmm. how nutty was it yep. uh, and well, we always love the story of the tragic breakup <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how close he came to the edge Right, there's a lot of things I want, really. You mean the edge from you too, or yeah, yeah, no, sorry. Well, yeah. that, 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 that yeah. would be a very side story. Yeah, <laughs> edge towards, yeah, catastrophe. Well, well, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm a huge Madness fan, uh, and you know, I have been for uh, you know since I was a kid, uh, and they were having the, the biggest hits, and and you know, I followed them very closely. I know all their albums, and, and you know, I'm seeing them on the reunions and things like that. Um, but what I didn't really, but the stuff you don't know, very often when you read biographies of um, famous musicians who, who, like that, you're kind of thinking, yeah, 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 so you grew up in this and you did this and then you went to this school and the other. Get to the bit, like when you read the Morrissey one. The Morrissey one, uh, like you, you read a certain amount and you think, okay, w- w- on what page does, he, does Johnny Marr knock at his door? Yeah. And, it, and, the Smiths and in the Morris one, he knocks at his yeah. door on page 162, and then he's out of the book in about 190. A lot of the time as well, the Pete Townsend one, yes, that's all very interesting, <laughs> but, you know, oh, the let's Pete get to the bit where you, where you meet the Pete Townsend Stop talking about imagined paedophilia. <laughs> it's tedious. He doesn't even know if he's been abused. He goes yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. Anyway, forget that. Yeah. But, but I mean, the, the list is endless, yeah. you know, of, of, of musicians' biographies where they take a long time, just as we are doing now, <laughs> taking a long time to get to the point. Now, the interesting thing about Suggs is he actually genuinely had, or he, maybe he didn't, but he makes it sound like he actually had a very, very interesting childhood, and the bits oh. in his book are not boring. 
he seems to have this kind of you know that Woody Allen film Zelig where that yes. character kind of pops yes. up he seems to have been Be everywhere one way or another he seems to have been in a lot of very places of interesting cultural change and he just happens to have been there so he's, yeah. he's there in the 70s talking about you know football hooliganism uh, which is you know an interesting time culturally mm-hmm. uh, no matter what your thoughts on the kind of people that was he in the picture Chelsea or was he just there oh he was in involved yeah it was a mini mini hooligan mini, mini hooligan <laughs> for Chelsea and, and, and you know no one, hate, no one hates Chelsea more than me I don't want to be listening to him talking about his tales of him and his Chelsea boys and there is quite a bit of that but you know in fairness to him as he says so many times he, he started supporting them when they were truly fucking shit <laughs> uh, and let's hope those days return soon also his mum uh, was some kind of cabaret singer and so he got to hang around a lot in the sort of Soho clubs drinking drinking right. club uh, scene in the 50s and 60s and he told he paints that oh, very very well uh, well, he's brought around about mid mid fifties, I think. Oh. Yeah, um, uh, he, he, he's talking about going to see the Who in the mid seventies at um, Charlton Athletic Football oh, Ground. Gosh, yeah. uh, he talks about, but he also talks about this other stuff about his life and growing up in Camden Town mm-hmm. in this community. Um, and there's weird weird anecdotes which I'm sure have been elaborated over time. He's a great <laughs> storyteller and raconteur. Uh, there's one in particular where he's, it ends up with these big lumps of parmesan bouncing down this street with a load of people running after there's another one about him and this dead pigeon that he befriends yeah. uh, who dies and, and, and yeah and various uh, shit jobs that he has uh, yeah. before um, and then there's a whole lot of stuff obviously there's stuff about madness uh, and the formation of madness and that's interesting in itself because as he says a few times during the book there were seven very very extrovert outgoing show offy kind of guys all in one band uh, and there's various reasons why that might be, which he does go into a little bit. Um, but he doesn't, you know, slavishly follow the chronology. He jumps about a bit, particularly when he gets to adulthood. He jumps about a bit. Uh, so, 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 so it does that help? Because I do like it when they the chronologically. It does. Well, it's, 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 it does. He skips over more of it. And it sounds like he's kind of well. I want to do a chapter on the the, the Reformation and the, the big mad stock in Finsbury Park, the first Reformation in '92, which I was very glad to read that chapter. I was at that thing, and it was right. it, it was a great day. Uh, and he does this, uh, you know, I want to do a chapter on because it was written fairly recently, so a bit about the, the Olympic ceremony and playing on Buckingham Palace for the Jubilee and things yeah. like that. I want to do a bit about our influences of ska music and I want to do a bit about, you know, uh, going to Japan and, uh, and the height of sort of pop mania and the nuttiness in, in, in Japan. Has he got an overarching theme? Has he, is there a philosophical you know, reasoning behind it? You know, does he discover anything? Or is, he, is, it, is it just this happened and it was amazing? Uh, well, you know... I don't know if there's any overarching theme. It's kind of like the story of, you know, the stuff that's happened to him and uh, and the, the friendships he's made along the way and, and the family. You get the thing, I don't know if you've ever watched any of these. Like you watched Glastonbury a couple of years ago when yeah. Madness were on. And, you know, the, they're a family, as in, you know, they're a bunch of seven guys and all their families and all their wives and kids, you know. Well, uh, you I read all on the stage. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, oh, I have heard something once that uh, I think Suggs and another member of the band um, were uh, getting into Stanbury Lane and drinking far too much and drugs and they both got married and he said well, it saved them really right? because that gave them some stability in their life some routine and their kids and what have you Yeah, uh, and you know that, that kind of saved them from being casualties Did yeah. he, does he 
reveal much about that. Yeah, it? It, it, there's a few little bits. Yeah, a few little bits are, are hinted at and mentioned. Uh, I mean, I, in, in, when I lived in London, I used to see him various places around around Camden or other people's gigs. Got mm. uh, off absolutely off his head. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, quite a bit. And uh, but I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm glad he's not dwelling on that because they, they can end up like sort of victim. My miserable life things, can't they? Yeah, yeah. I've read Joplin's. Good God, that's. I read David Crosby's one years ago, and it's kind of a very self pitying thing. Yeah, well, you know. You wonder why people do drugs if it's so shit. You know? (laughs) You know, people do drugs because it's fucking great being on drugs. You know, sorry. Oh, they should. Sorry, listen. (laughs) You know, uh, but, you know, it's no use saying to people, like, you mustn't do drugs. I did it for years and it was awful. Well, you know, well, no, you didn't. You were having a great time and that's why you carried on doing it. So don't bullshit us, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, highly recommended. Uh, very highly recommended. Very, very entertaining. He's a great storyteller. Uh, he's got a way with words and um, he doesn't seem like the kind of thing that he's... Not like the Morrissey book as well, where he, where you think, like, he's painstakingly oh, yeah. written this and he's constructed every sentence very carefully. He doesn't doesn't feel like that, yeah. but he's just got every now and again. There's an amusing turn of phrase, and it makes you laugh out loud. It really does, and, and very very entertaining. And he's he's had an interesting life.
Kellen. Um, I guess a, a, a lot of them will know Mark Allen, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, although, <laughs> one of his great strengths and his weakness, he's got this cheerful, tiggerish kind of personality. Yeah. Uh, and I think people can sort of miss it. You know what I mean? It's just mm. like, he's that nice bloke. You know, they're, yes. they're, they're nice bloke. So, you don't, he's not going to hit you. Or he can be, because uh, I still sometimes have to think about which one is Mark Allen and and which one is David Hathaway? Yeah, if I have an image in my yes. mind, there's the guy with the sort of curlier hair and the glasses. He's, he's kind of brown hands. hair. Yeah, that, that and then there's the other guy who looks a bit like Paul McCartney that's on a superficial right. basis. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's Mark Ellen, right? He looks he's far like, too much like Paul McCartney. He's a little he bit really Paul McCartney. That's Mark Ellen or is that David Hathaway? That's, that's Mark Ellen. Right. That's, that's Mark Ellen. Just clarifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I mean, what you realise, I mean, it, it, it tells some fascinating stories about being just a music enthusiast. It yeah. almost seems from birth. Yeah. Uh, and attending those festivals in what would be like 1972, you know, where the bikers turned up and burnt the stage and, you know, uh, and, and he hitched there and hitched back and they had 10 pence and they bought a bag of chips for three days, and, but they loved every single second of it. He tells all those sort of stories. Yeah. And then what's it's fascinating about when he gets, I mean, he becomes a writer at the NME in, you know, 1976. Mm. So all the way through the, 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 the heyday of the NME, he was there, yeah. and he was there because he was reliable. He would turn up, and he would always get his copy on time. Uh, so he's very reliable. Yeah. And when when the the editor left, Nick Coyne was it? Yeah. Uh, and he did a resume of all the writers to the incoming uh, editor. Uh, Mark Allen was somewhere down the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> no, no flirt, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, he'll be all right. Just yeah. stick with him. <laughs> and uh, so he didn't fit into that hard-hitting, you know, very confrontational uh, yeah. rock journalist at the time, and um, which is why ultimately uh, he ended up doing things like smash hits. Yeah. Did he? Um, he did he? Did he found smash hits? Was he one of the people who set that up? Or? You know, I, 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 my, I, my memory's wavering a bit here. He, when uh, the enemy went on strike, the uh-huh. enemy went on strike, uh, and some entrepreneur came along and said. Well, they're, they're out of circulation. Quick, throw a magazine together. Yeah. And this oh, is always right. very good. Like, right. It's just very positive. Get together yeah. with some people. Yeah, whatever. We'll throw something together. And did lot, lot, it was very humorous because it just yeah. reflected his personality. And it did really well for like three weeks. And then they went back to work and he was finished. Yeah. <laughs> in that particular magazine. But I mean, after that, I mean, the, the catalogue of stuff that was, and, you know, we were saying about great rock and roll stories. It's rammed packed with them. I mean, one of the greatest rock and roll stories, yeah, and well, let's not call it rock and roll. Uh, because obviously he went to Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Let's not hold that against him. Uh, but he, he was in the band with Tony Blair. Uh, and, um, you know, and he, he describes how this sort of guy came along. What, what were they? they Ugly Rumours. Oh, yeah. 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 So he was playing bass, I think, with Ugly Rumours. And so Tony Blair came on as the would-be Mick Jagger. Uh, <laughs> obviously not quite as good as... <laughs> and, uh, but, but even then, Tony Blair was a total seller because they played this concert and before then, it's like in Oxford Village Hall somewhere, uh, before then there was like a ragtime band on and the crowd loved them. So they came on playing their generic rock standards. Yeah. Uh, and the crowd were thinking, well, this is a bit boring. So Tony Blair, ever, ever the, you know, populist, says, hold on everybody, let's introduce back into the stage that ragtime band. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mark was like, oh God, he has to try and jam along with a ragtime band, like, you know, you know, play smoke on the water with it. <laughs> I mean, fantastic stuff. Uh, but then he, he runs like a scene through the music industry then for the next 35 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's it. He's there at the Live Aid, he's there at Algorithm Test, he's there at Radio One, he, he deputises for John Peel on quite a number of occasions. And yeah. Not, John Peel's worried that he's going to be the new John Peel, uh-huh. as he's paranoid about everyone, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, some fantastic stuff. But the thing that, I think the best bit of the book, and the thing that made him write it, 
because after you know all these years in it, he's he's only partially uh, involved. Yeah. Uh, and it's like something like Elle magazine approached him and said, you know, Rihanna is doing a seven gigs in seven days in seven different cities. Right? Yeah, you could be the a rock, as a rock journalist on the plane with Rihanna and this entourage who are going to fly to the best cities, stay in the fantastic hotels, and this whole thing's going to last seven days, start to finish, you'll get you know, as much as you can drink, as much as you can eat, all the merchandise you can possibly imagine, do you want to do it? Yeah. And of course he says, oh, I can't, I can't really turn that down. <laughs> all sorts of different yeah. reasons. And the whole thing turns into an utter nightmare, which is best typified by this 27-year-old blogger, like an obsessive blogger, you know, mm-hmm. 27, he gets on this thing for nothing. Right? Yeah. After about four days, Mark Allen goes in, everything's going. He says, it's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. That concert yeah. last night, they have no seat for me. No seat. Yeah. What bullshit is that? So what yeah. did you do? I went across the road to the pub. <laughs> he says, you're 27 years old, you're on this multi-million pound roller coaster with your supposed favourite ever artist and, you know, she's on the same plane as you and you're not enjoying yourself? Yeah. <laughs> what has this become? Yeah, yeah. He's absolutely yeah. disgusting. <laughs> Well, it, 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 I don't know if you ever heard the Word magazine, which I think he did with David Hepworth, and oh, they yeah. had their own podcast running alongside uh, yeah. the thing. I don't know if you listened to any of them. A hell of a lot. Of they, yeah, they used to do. Uh, they were very good, actually. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, other podcasts other than ours are, are good. Yeah. Well, you know what they did? Yeah. They did a swearing special. Did they? The <laughs> fuckers! Did they do it before? They must have done it before. Hours, they did. The fucking bastards! <laughs> yeah. The fucking fucking working. No. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. What uh, but on there, they used to do a thing called in, uh, a thing called the Hoary Old Rock Anecdote, which was very entertaining. And I'm imagining that this book is oh. full of lots of the great best, anecdotes. Yeah. The best yeah. one. Yeah. That's what I thought was when uh, the, he was going to interview uh, Nick. Nick Kent, uh, Jimmy Page, Roy Harper, yeah. Roy, Roy Harper and Jimmy Page, right? Yeah. And so they, he's working with BBC TV. Uh, they need a, a, like a film camera crew, uh, and all they could get was someone who's doing Blue Peter with his son. Yeah. Uh, so they come out, someone in the Lake District to interview, you know, Roy Harper, Jimmy Page. Mm. Uh, they get there, they're not there. They turn up massively late, fairly drunk in this like gothic sort of pub hotel thing. They occupy this huge room, like, you know, two Roman whatevers. Uh, and um, so these big chairs, they've got girls by the side of them and, you know, hangers on. Uh, and uh, as they're talking to them, and this is only talking about the interview, this is neat. <laughs> Either one of them would say, white staff, and someone would come with cocaine. And they'd say, red staff, and someone would come with wine. Uh-huh. So Michael's thinking, this is going to be a trick, isn't it? <laughs> and so they're saying, well, when can we do the interview? They're saying, and obviously they think they smash it the face tonight, not going to do it tonight. And these, these people in Blue Peter, you know, they can't stay for that long. Uh, so they're going to have to be gone by 10 in the morning. So they said, okay, well, can we do it at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning? They went, oh, you know, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning now. Well, there's no point going to sleep, is there? White staff! <laughs> and so, so, so Mark Allen's thinking, Christ, this is going to be awkward. So then the next morning, they said, they could, they stank to high heaven. They, they'd had Nick, Nick, Roy Harper. Nick Harper. Roy Harper had brought along a very, very young girl who Jim Page had never met before. <laughs> Suffice to say, the day after, he'd he really met her. Right, yeah. <laughs> so he's all over her. Yeah. Uh, they go out to like a, a pastoral setting where they say, well, can, you know, can you play a couple of songs, maybe, because they're doing LP together. Ah, oh, fine, you. But anyway, they managed to do it. He's doing this interview, which is rubbish. They play the songs, which are awful. 
and it, it looks terrible. And, uh, and Mark Allen eventually gets a bit annoyed, and he gets a bit you know, chip, chippy with them. Yeah. Uh, so and then they get a bit chippy back, and it, there's not an impasse where they don't say anything to it. And he says, "Well, that, that's that's been page." <laughs> 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 and so he, he so then he does his bit to camera to say, "This is uh, from wherever you know, and the Oberus test or whatever it will be." Yeah. Uh, and of course, they they are like smashing the face, uh, and there's a lot of sheep in the field, and they start going, "Mark, Mark." <laughs> So he can't do his bit because Jimmy Page and Roy Harper heckling him in the voice of sheep. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, but, but yeah. A, a great read, and he, he does he does comment on the the, the the progress of the music industry, if you like, and, and how it's changed over the years, and some fascinating things there. He said, like you know, they, they used to like like memorize band names, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, play who can remember the band. Yeah, he picked up some kids going to a, going to a festival uh, five years ago, or whatever. They didn't even always play. Yeah. <laughs> and when he yeah. got there, they had a miles better time than he ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Ellis, Rockstar's Stole My Life. Great book. Okay. Great book. Thanks. And can I just ask, did you read that in an actual book format? Or Kindle? Or how, how did you read it? Kindle. Kindle. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that, that one I read, uh, the Suggs one, I didn't actually read it. And in fact, I think this added to my enjoyment. It was an audio book. And I got it free from my local library. Yeah, but it was it wasn't even like a CD that you go in and get. You sign in to the website, and they've got a whole load of audiobooks you can download for free. Wow! And I suspect that if it's on my local library, then it's probably on everybody's yeah. local library. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so have a look. There was no other uh, audiobooks of, of stuff. Anyway, <laughs> to talk about the next one. Next, then. next, next one is called Shout to the Top. Uh, it says it's an inside story of the Jammer Paul Weller by Dennis Monday. Who is Dennis Monday, I hear you exclaim. I, I was going to explain, but you said yeah. it's not what I said again. Go on, exclaim. Who's Dennis Monday? Yeah. Uh, well, Dennis Monday is a, uh, is a gentleman who uh, worked closely with the Jam and the Star Council. Uh, he, he was a Polydor employee, mm-hmm. uh, and that's basically it. Yeah, he, he, he works he, he, he worked at the record company. Tell great. Well, great position for me to tell the story. Well, it sounds like it might be, because the, the back cover tells you that he's like he was like there their right-hand man, or, you know, he's like the, you, you know, not the fourth member of the jam, because that would be John Weller, Paul's dad, oh, but, yeah. but, you know, he's very, it makes it sound like this guy really has got the inside story. He could have been management, couldn't he? He could have been running the show. Um, the, the big disappointment, I mean, I, I, like, it's, it's a big disappointment. It's a big, book. Book. it's a big book, and I waded through it, mm. and, um, I, I, and then I got to the end, and I think, why the bother? Because, um, you know, again, going back to what do I want from a book, when I read a book, I've already read the Bruce Fox and Rick Butler one, right. uh, which is quite interesting. But it's coming; from, it has a certain agenda in it, which is which is it was uh, which was you know people think the jam was just poor. Well, it was us too. Well, we were just <laughs> an important part, you yeah. know. And we might play a, we might play a song in a minute, which might show uh, yes. that Bruce Foxton uh, is no slouch himself, and yeah. certainly in terms of playing, they were an excellent bass player and an excellent drum. Uh, but anyway. Um, that book didn't really, for me, didn't really fulfil everything I might want to know about the jam, certainly not at the Town Council. Um, and um, this book didn't either. This book was very unsatisfying. It reads a bit like a very long Wikipedia entry because far too much of the book is taken up with, you know, and then in January 1979, they released this single and the B-side was this and then, you know, and then they went on tour and they played these places, you know. And it's, it's oh, it, there's very oh. little of what it says on the cover, an inside did it, story. I read an Elvis Costello book. I'm yeah. fairly obsessed with Elvis Costello in my time. And there's a book out there, I have no idea what it's called, 
but it, it, it listed every bloody record he sold. I don't mean yeah. every record had that album. <laughs> and he sold ten in, ten in London on that. There was five thousand dollars sold, sold to a man <laughs> named <laughs> Dave all the Gerald. <laughs> all he, the people who bought this record. He was born in Sitka. <laughs> yeah, and, and he bought it. And he bought it Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, Costello's another example. There's lots of people. There's far too many books out there. And you kind of like, well, just tell me which one's the definitive one that I need to read. On the subject of the Costello, the Graham Thompson one's pretty good. I don't know if you've read that. I'll, no, I'll no, lend it to you no, if you want. No, uh, but the Graham Thompson one, it would be my recommended one. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's another Paul Weller one out there. I know Paolo Hewitt, who's kind he's of good. the inside story man, isn't he? He's, he's, he's Weller's go-to guy. Maybe if you read that one, it'll be more more insightful, yeah. but I suspect it focuses too much on the solo years that I'm not really that interested in so much. Um, but... Um, yeah, his and name's, his, his name's Dennis Monday. Monday, it could have been Dennis Mundane with some of this stuff in here. Um, I mean, you think, well, there's an anecdote there. He's, you know, he's involved at the record company. You must know some stuff. Some of the stuff you get is that Paul Weller is very much his own man. We knew he's, that. It, yeah, <laughs> we knew that. He can be a bit moody. And there's mm. numerous references to, of course, his ever-changing moods. Uh, that, um, that, he, that he's possibly not as great as he thinks he is. Uh, well, which is a, a matter of opinion, and you know, and, and you know, um, uh, that John Weller is uh, basically a guy who, you know, Paul Weller's dad, who yeah. was his manager, was basically a bloke who worked on the building site, uh, who who doesn't know anything about the inner workings of the music business. It says all this without slagging him off too much, but mm-hmm. but and there's a hell of a lot of repetition. There's a hell of a lot of stuff about. I don't understand why Polydor. I mean, it's, it's a good point to make. Polydor apparently after our favourite shop. They gave Paul Weller, promised him a million for app per album. And if you look at where the Star Council went from there, they did the famous Orange album, Cost of Loving, and they really, you know, with the exception of a few songs here and there, they completely lost the plot. Mm. Um, and you say, well, why did anybody in their right mind give him a million pounds an album when, you know, they weren't selling that much, the Star Council albums were selling less than the jam? These are good points, but he makes it over and over and over again in the book. <laughs> I'm going to read you a little bit. This is an example of one of Dennis Mundane's, Mundane's <laughs> anecdotes. He's talking about the release of the Sound Effects album. Okay? Uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'll say it a bit of time. I'm not going to read you this. <laughs> uh, but it's on page 64, if anyone's interested. Basically, it's a, it's a story about how the album was about to be released, but then all of a sudden, he got an urgent phone call. There was something very... a big, a big problem oh, that he needed to solve. <laughs> well, you're on the right track. Basically, you know the inner bag? Yes. The inner bag. They printed the lyrics on the inner bag, but the inner bag, they'd used this French pressing plant. They got it pressed somewhere. Oh to, 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 they'd used oh. the wrong type of paper, oh. and it hadn't come out very clearly. And the album was supposed oh. to be coming out in just a few days, so he had to fly to Paris, or, or oh. yeah, and sort out this problem with the inner sleeves. Uh... You know, there's 29,000 or something inner sleeves printed on the wrong kind of paper. Uh, but luckily, you know, uh, you know, the company footed the bill for the bags that had to be destroyed. I explained the situation, showed him the inner bag, and to my surprise, he agreed it was awful. This is the kind of, you know, who who got, which person at the, this publisher, which is Omnibus Press, who who thought there was a book in this? Yeah. Really? Um, think about it. It's a big industry, isn't it? There's lots of people working in the nearly and, 400 and administration who could also say, "I get a vital role in in that seminal moment in rock." But you know, and you think, well, some, some at some point, this guy's going to write the an outline. 
an outline for what he's going to include in this book. And somebody somewhere who decides whether this book gets published is going to say, right, so tell us some of the interesting choice anecdotes you've got yeah. about working with Paul Weller and the German Star Council. And, it, and, you know, and there, and there aren't any. So... There was, there, there, there. there was the day that we smudged the cover. Remember that 15 years oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, we yeah. shredded them. I, God, thank God no one found out. But anyway, so uh, what I'm, I'm interested in is that I tweeted the, uh, a picture of this book a week or so ago saying that we were going to be reviewing on this podcast and somebody tweeted me back saying that they were going to... Um, that they were going to... They'd written another book called Mr. Cool's Dream, I think it's called, and they, they claim that is the definitive book on Paul Weller and the Star Council... Uh, and they said, like, you should read this and review it. Okay. Yeah. Well, send it us then. Yeah, send us. Uh, I did kind of tweet back saying, well, you know, you know <laughs> I'd love to read Yes, I would like to read that. And then they sent me a link to where I could buy it. Let's cheer ourselves up in terms of. This is a library book, by the way. This is again from my local library, so I didn't buy this. <laughs> yes. um, but North, yeah. Northwich Library. Hats off to Northwich Library. They've got a very good section for music. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's cheer ourselves up. It's not all bad news. The jam were a bloody good band. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so, there were so many songs we, we found it hard to choose, didn't we? And we went for this one, Smithers Jones, <laughs> the Bruce Foxton pen, Smithers Jones. Here we go again. It's Monday at last. He's heading for the Waterloo line to catch the eight a.m. fast. It's usually dead on time. Hope it isn't late. Got to be there by nine. Thank you. 
Jessica Chando with Smithers Jones. Our final book on this uh, inaugural Trust the Wizards book review podcast was is a book by a fellow called David Ford called I Choose This. And the, the running gag, or the running sewer <laughs> through the book, is that um, here's, here's someone who's, who's dedicated their life to music, who's put an incredible amount of effort, resources, uh, the, the inspiration into music, and arguably has not been successful at all. Yeah. It's not, it's not true to say he's not been successful at all. Uh, it's probably true to say that he's been moderately, moderately successful, uh, and then events have conspired to, to, to pull the rug from under his feet. He starts, starts live with a band called Easy World, uh, and really commits to that for a good couple of years, and they achieve what looks like, you know, fantastic success, they get a following... But never. Are they some early nineties? Yeah, yeah, vaguely, yeah. vaguely remember the name. I yeah. think that's the response of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they never, never quite. You know, and they make the classic mistake of making not a good enough first LP and yeah. not quite following it up. And there's a great story when uh, he knows it's finished when the record company have, have thrown them at an event because uh-huh. they couldn't find anyone sort of. In, 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 the, in the bottom of the barrel where they were. <laughs> it's not quite open in a supermarket, but it's playing this kid's jamboree, and they put them there, and it's raining, and no one's really listening to them, and the band are miming, uh, and you can just see them thinking, you know, it's not, it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not only is it not going to yeah. work, but it's just not worth it. And at the same time, he's thinking, I'm, I'm out of this, uh, and he thinks about going solo, and he does sort of develop his own style, mm-hmm. uh, and he makes an LP... Which is, uh, you know, Julian Cope's I, I Skellington? Skellington, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he makes an LP a bit like that. Oh, a yeah. stupid yeah. LP. Yeah. Like a, a really lo-fi thing that he puts together all, all by himself. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anything of it. Uh, but, you know, it sort of creeps out. Uh, and, and actually, it gets critically quite successful. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of builds on that. But there's a lovely moment where he does an album, which you've seen, the fantastic video for called, a song called State of the Union. Yeah, where he starts working with different techniques of uh, echo and starting um, instruments up and then moving to the next instrument. Uh, and he does a song called State of the Union, and it's yeah. a sort of 10 minute video of it where he walks into uh, it's not a studio, even, it's, it's a, a, a performance space, yeah. gets all the instruments playing, sings a song that's sort of stream of consciousness rant about the State of the Union. Yeah. Uh, and it is quite Is that the one where he plays cutlery and things like that in the video? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. He does. It's really yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, so at this stage, you know, he's no one, he's doing nothing. He's put on YouTube, and YouTube's quite new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the story goes, uh, the head of Capital Records in America yeah. pulls together all these big executives, all the people who fit with music, and he said, listen, you guys, we've, we've given you millions and millions of dollars to be creative, mm-hmm. to come up with you know, the best music, the best videos, the best artists, yeah? And you know what creativity is? You want to see what creativity is? Show them. And yeah. what's David Ford on the screen? Yeah. <laughs> so, they were, yeah, that's right, isn't it? So he yeah. does get a record contract with, with Capital Records. Yeah. Of course, that guy leaves. Oh. <laughs> and so, he gets left and no one's really interested. Yeah. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. And, he, and he, he bobs around the basement of Capital Records for a few years. Yeah. And there's a great story of that. So he thinks, well, what do you do? You know, I want to go at it again. I think I've got something. I've got a bunch of songs. I'm going to go and do it. So he thinks, I'll do it on my own, like I did that early record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he books out a space in like, 
it's like an out-of-town industrial unit. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wires the whole thing up himself, so I'm going to do this all myself. Uh, spends like, everything's got like £20,000, I would be. Uh, recalls the whole thing. Well, I say recalls the whole thing. Gets bogged down a bit. Yeah. <laughs> As you might imagine, you're worried if you've not really done it before. <laughs> and, the, the, and he sort of finishes it and gets back to the sort of record company type people. Plays it. And when he's playing, he's thinking, oh my God, there, there is no... I've basically just recorded some music I like. There's no theme to that. They're like, well, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> are, are you country western? Are you rock? Are you balanced? <laughs> because there's sort of one of everything, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, he didn't think to listen to anyone about what the album was going to be like. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but, you know, but he, he, he fashions it into something reasonable. But I think some of the really interesting things to come out of it is how... So he's... The theme is, is it he's a little bit successful in a few places. Yeah. And can you make that work? Can you make is that work? I mean, it does, is this his living? Is this what yeah, he does yeah, for a living? Does he doesn't have other yeah. jobs or things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And he does it because there's a few people buy his records. Yeah. But, you know, he's nowhere... He tours a lot, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he, you always see adverts for him on tour. Well, in yeah. the same way that when Peter Bell said to me, come watch Jackie Levin in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I'd heard one or two songs by Jack Eleven. Yeah. I don't know anyone else who'd ever heard of him whatsoever. Yeah, he turned up Manchester Sunday night, two hundred people there. Yeah, and yeah. of those two hundred people, he put a box at the back. Said, "There's an honesty box there. There's some CDs there. Pick one up. Put your money in the box." Yeah, end of the end of the night, box is full of money. Yeah, so you think, well, this is how Jackie's doing, isn't it? Mm. Now he can turn up in Philadelphia. Yeah, once or twice a year, play the same place in Philadelphia. 200 people turn up. Yeah. So yeah. he's got a whole uh, 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 circuit yes. of places all over, seeing like North America and, and this country, Europe, yeah. uh, where he can get an audience and where he can make two grand a night yeah. playing, playing songs which supports him. And, and yeah. also he's, he, he makes the point that, you know, you've got to be clever as well now because he's actually thinking, well, actually, another way to do it is patronage. Because he yeah. played this concert one night, a guy called Bob came up afterwards, he said, how many CDs have you got? Yeah, I've got a box of eighty. I'll, I'll have every single one of them. So, right? Okay, that's that done. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, can you come to my house and play for me and my family tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Done. Check. Done. <laughs> yeah. Gets the you know he gives him wine and beer and everything. Put them up. He says that's the best breakfast you ever had. This guy invites all his friends round. He plays a concert for them. Gets some money for that. He goes to the office where yeah. where this guy is handing out CDs to all his employees. He plays a concert before. Yeah. <laughs> He's quids in. Yeah. This guy is. This guy loves him, mm. and he's got sort of like massive thunder fans. You yeah. Know, over the globe, not many of them. Yeah. <laughs> but they are, you know, the Uber fans. fans. And they, well, well, and you, you know, and I, I certainly know. If you, if you do that kind of thing, you go back to play these venues. You know, that person might bring a f- couple of friends. Next time they come around, they're, they're better, they'll, 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 they'll probably bring a couple of mates and it, exactly what you say, playing the same venues yeah. in different towns, even though you might only play them a couple of times a year or even, yeah. more, you know, even less than that, you can build an audience. And there's the yeah. obsessive people, some people are obsessed yeah. by it. And yeah. they're obsessed by it because, because it's not mainstream, because they, they, they feel a real connection there, because yeah. you can feel that. Yeah, well, it's, it's a bit much more though than if you like, go to a big arena gig yeah. and, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know he's a, a, a tremendously again likable character. I do feel that in the same way that Mark Allen, he suffers from the fact that he's a tremendously likable character. Yes, you know, yeah. no, there's no rock star persona there. It is yeah. kind of just him. And even though he does these wonderful ranty songs occasionally, 
which are quite confrontational. Mm. Um, I think when you go and see him, he's, he's warm and cuddly, really. Have you seen him, Mark? No. Well, maybe we need to. Maybe we need to keep an eye out for when he's when he's playing around this area and, and go and be these patrons uh, and support him. I think uh, should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's quite uh, David Ford. Yeah. Okay, uh, do we hear one of his songs to close us out? Before we do, can I just send out a, a pledge, to, uh, a plea to our listener? If you know of a really good uh, book about yeah. music and yeah. you think we should read it and or review it, uh, then please drop us a line because we're always interested. Uh, on the YouTube channels. Yeah. At Trust the Wizards, Twitter, Facebook, TrustTheWizards.com. Yeah. Yeah, follow the blog. That's the best way to do it. Thank you very much for listening. Are we going to finish with a David Ford song? Let's panic. Forgive me, Father, I've sinned Been caught perpetuating wrongs I've screamed in accusation And yet convinced that still I can Somehow be better than I am If I could only bring myself to step in one direction But all this progress I've made Has left me bitter and afraid I've bolt the doors and let the trappings of my life surround me And hope to God nobody calls But trust the scratching in the walls To be my comfort and my shelter from the world around me Whisper on the wind, forgive me, Father. I've sinned. I swear right now I cling to anything you'd care to show me. To save me from improper thoughts, that modern miracle of sorts against the tide of advertising and survival only. Condition has been set, and every new potential threat must be eradicated from the face of all that's sacred. Just stand before the cause, I'll be hysterically yours and deaf to any reason, evidence, or explanation. Just facts, see definitions in exact